Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to another unexpected episode of The Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, do you remember what I said at the end of last uh, at the end of our last episode on Monday night? No, refresh my memory, please. Podcast isn't going away. It just won't be twice a week now. So we'll give you a once a week fix of The Audible as we go into the offseason, which as we know, Bruce, there really is no offseason. We've got the portal. We've got coaching carousel. Some school will leave their conference soon. Florida State will sue the counters. I don't know. There's always something going on in the offseason. Well, it turns out we're back two days later. Uh, it wasn't a school changing conferences. It was the greatest coach of all time, Nick Saban, unexpectedly announcing his retirement on Wednesday. Something, Bruce, that was circulating earlier in the day. But I feel like... Because we go through this all the time, rumors about oh, this coach might retire, this moment, and especially with him, I didn't actually believe it until until the news broke. Yeah, it was something I for me, I was at taping a Rich Eisen show at 10 or 10 or 11 o'clock Pacific time, got out of there, had a text from one person and a text from another person about Saban possibly retiring. One person said is this happening now? And then another person said, uh, said it was going to happen tonight. And I started making some calls. One person I had spoke to who's, who was pretty close to Nick Saban and more plugged in on him than I think anybody else I really know and talked to said that wouldn't surprise me. And then we started talking about stuff. He goes, but I hadn't heard that about tonight. And then it dawned on me. I started thinking back last week, we were both at the Rose bowl. And I remember being outside the, the Michigan locker room. And Nick Saban came down the, the ramp in the Rose Bowl in a golf cart from just finishing his post-game press conference. And he kind of had to stop because there was a cluster of people. And he gave this kind of like what I would describe as like a pageant pageant wave, you know, kind of turned the hand like slowly and gave the and kind of smiled. And it just dawned on me. I was like, I did not expect that expression from his face and thinking back now, and I have no idea if this is the case, but did he know at that, at that moment that he had coached his last college football game or his football game? And I, I assume he probably did. Well, that's really interesting. And we had not talked about this beforehand, but I had a very similar aha moment from the Rose bowl when the news came down here today, which is I was in his post game press conference and I've been in a lot of Nick Saban post game press conferences, including after national championship losses. And he did seem more down about this one. Um, he was more somber. He was more, um, seemed more, like on the one hand, he was saying how proud he was of the team. And, and the, the, you know, it's going so far to say this was one of the greatest seasons in Alabama football history because of the way they improved. But then also towards the end, 
really lamenting how they let it get away. And then this is the moment that immediately came to mind once we realized he was retiring. Uh, Miss Terry, he came, he, he ends the press conference. He's about to turn to go to the, to where you ended up seeing him apparently. And Miss Terry comes over and they engage in a pretty long hug. And I don't know, I, maybe that's happened before. It's not like I've covered every Nick Saban loss, but it did seem like, huh, like, boy, this is a really hard moment for them. So, yes, I do think he knew it was his last game. He hasn't, as of this recording, we haven't heard from him. Maybe he'll say otherwise. Um, one of our editors pointed out that it kind of totally slipped under the radar at the time. But in August, he purchased they purchased a $17 million home in Florida. Um, and also on the Pat McAfee show last week, which he was doing weekly this year, they asked him about the retirement rumors. And I went back and watched that clip where, first of all, there's a palm tree right outside his, his uh, window. So I guess he was at that house. Uh, he he kind of deflected it. He made a joke about it. He deflected it. And then unsolicited, went on about a three-minute rant about NIL and how it's become pay-for-play. Like, not the first time I've heard him go off about that. But I think we're going to find out that that kind of stuff is part of the reason why a 17-year-old, 72-year-old coach who never seemed his age uh, is walking away now. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it was an interesting time for him to to go where you have all this change that is going to happen next year around college football. We're going, obviously, we talked about this the other day, 12-team playoff, Texas and Oklahoma are coming in. Um, it's not to say I don't think he worried about any of that stuff, but it's a very big season of change around the sport. That's, I mean, we've already had a lot of change, but I mean, certainly that's part of it. And, um, you know, look, it, it, in some ways he went out with a team that, you know, if you looked at what this team looked like in September, you're like, man, this might be like a eight and four Alabama team. It's he beat Georgia. He won the sec title with what I don't think, I don't care what the recruiting rankings say. This was, probably one of the least talented teams he's had in the last dozen years. And he still made it to the playoff, lost in overtime to Michigan, obviously. But, you know, he leaves behind. We haven't, we've had big coaches leave. We've never had, this is the greatest coach in the history of college football. And while Alabama has a lot to offer, the kinds of guys who, who I think Alabama would consider you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, some details that we already know from our reporting, you know, just in the, in the last, I don't know, six or eight hours. I mean, Nick Saban was talking to to coaches about assistant jobs as early, as recently as earlier today. Um, I was told that when Greg Byrne, the athletic director at Alabama, talked to the players, he was talking about a, a timeline of 72 hours. I mean, that is a quick turnaround to land the successor to Nick Saban. Now, Greg Burrow. Wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me walk that back for a second. Nick Saban was talking to assistant coaches earlier today to join his staff? Talking to them about possible jobs. I mean, that's something we've heard. There was a couple of assistant coaches who had conversations with them in the last 24 hours. So you're saying it went from that to having a team meeting where Greg Byrne tells them he's going to go hire a new coach within 72 hours. Yeah, I think that that part is, to me, is curious. The conversations that Saban had with a couple of, of football coaches 
there that to me was was odd but the um but the part about greg Byrne, like a lot of ad's i think has a list in his drawer in his pocket ready for what happens if but the idea that they would be able to 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 land somebody in the next 72 hours um that is, is going to be a fascinating three or four day period so i want to get into those candidates but just to to circle back to you know kind of how it ended um it is incredibly rare like you said they're great coaches you know leave but what's rare is when they get to leave on their own terms at the top at the peak of their you know like yes he hasn't won a national title in three years oh boy right they, like you said they, in his in his last season in his quote-unquote down year they beat the number one team in the country went eight no in the sec and and took the national champion to overtime in the semifinals um, he said at the press conference, I told my team in the locker room after the game, this is one of the most amazing seasons in Alabama football history in terms of where this team came from, what they were able to accomplish and what they were able to do winning the SEC championship, which I actually asked him to elaborate on later. And he said, I don't look at it necessarily from winning and losing. You won the championship. You can't win the championship as a coach. You're always trying to get your team to improve and be the best that they can be. And I think this team probably improved from the South Florida game in the Texas game early in the season, as much as any team I've ever coached. So did he literally go out on top? No, his last national title was in 2020, but pretty darn close. And that feels a lot different to me than, for instance, the way things ended for Bobby Bowden, one of the all-time greats, who the last, you know, almost decade of his career, um, they weren't the same. Um, I think you got to go back to Tom Osborne, who went out winning a national championship, um, just to have anything comparable to this. Just checking to see how old was Tom Osborne when he retired? Because Tom Osborne now is eighty six. He is he retired in nineteen ninety eight. So he was what sixty three. I'm not even doing the math right, but yeah, I mean, I feel like as a society everything is ten like yeah i think tom osborne stu was 61 yeah and, and 61 at that time was what 72 is now like i just feel like every everything has shifted by a decade in terms of how we view things i mean you know cr another crazy thing bruce is that this happened on the same day that Pete carroll uh and the seahawks parted ways Pete carroll is the same age 72 and when you talk about you know kind of college football coaches since we've been covering the sport I mean, they their their careers over um, Carol, the end of Carol's tenure and the beginning of Saban's Alabama tenure were right around the same time. It was like Carol was the the king of the sport. And then he handed it. He left and, and on came Nick Saban. So both of those guys well, what's have possibly even, coached their last game as football coaches. Even crazier about that. Uh, somebody online found an old UPI uh, story that said, Nick Saban, an assistant at West Virginia, has been picked up by Ohio State University to become the defensive secondary coach on the Buckeye squad. He will replace Pete Carroll, who left Ohio State after the Rose Bowl to become defensive coordinator at North Carolina State. And by the I way, I saw that. Yeah. The other, you know, curious twist. Defensive coordinator at NC State under Monty Kiffin. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It all comes together. That was in 1980. And, and um, you know, just. Just, just so many crazy small world things here. Um, so, 
I mean, the funny thing is the, the discussion of like, I feel like in my mailbag every year, multiple times a year, I get if Nick Saban retired tomorrow, who would Alabama hire going back to I don't even know when far enough back that the answer to that question at one time would have been Dabo Swinney, you know, like like when Dabo won his first national title, everybody would say, well, you know where he's going to go next. He'll be the guy that replaces Nick Saban. That has come and gone. I don't um, think that is coming. You don't think that is coming gone? No, I think Dabo Sweeney is a candidate for this job. I absolutely do. The reason I just kind of blew it off is because you're not getting Dabo at his peak if you do that. You know, you're you're getting a guy who frankly hasn't, you know, as I wrote in my column about Saban, I think the most important quality he had was how adaptable he was. I think he would have flamed out a long time ago if he wasn't able to I mean, frankly, changed the whole complexion of his program as as the sport changed and as offenses became more wide open and quarterbacks more prolific. Dabo has not shown any ability to do that. So that seems to me, I know he's got two rings. I know he's an Alabama guy. That just doesn't seem like a particularly smart move to me if that's what they ended up doing. Yeah, I don't know if that's who ultimately gets it. I know I talked to somebody uh, this afternoon who's very plugged in at Alabama who thought Dabo was a real candidate. Dabo obviously played there. Dabo beat Alabama for two national, two those two national titles. I, you know, my I kind of push back on with this person. I was like, but it feels like he's been backsliding the last few years, which he which his teams definitely have the last three years. But then you start looking at the rest of the candidate pool. So I'm going to go through it because you know people. I don't know if they've seen it yet or read it, but we have a a search story up from talking to industry sources about this of who we think is going to be in the mix. Uh, first name, Dan Lanning. It is a hot name. He's had two terrific years at Oregon. He was a grad assistant under Nick Saban. He knows the SEC. Dan Lanning, for a couple of things, it would cost a ton of money to get Dan Lanning out of Oregon. His buyout on his contract is $20 million, but I'm told it would cost way, way more than that, than $20 million to get him to leave the Ducks. It's more than that. Dan Lanning. How so? He has a unique deal that I've been uh, from another place that looked at Dan Lanning and considered him. Mm. And that's how I was told about it. Yeah. I mean, it, that number, I mean, it was, he has been more so. I know a lot of coaches say, I'm happy here. They don't, they're still, they wouldn't still leave, but he has more than any other coach been just like so over the top about how he has no desire to leave you would think a job like Alabama might be the one that would change that. But yeah, to your point, nobody in the country has a buyout like that in their contract. And so if you're Greg Byrne to pay, whatever you're saying it is North of 20 million, you would have to feel like this is absolutely, there's no other Dan Lanning is the choice and there's nobody else. that's a close second because otherwise there are other guys and you're going to talk about them who you could go get for a lot less. Yeah, so on the on the landing front, now he has a young family. I think he has three young boys who are probably somewhere between like seven and twelve, or in that range. And you, you know, you can be treated like a king in Eugene, Oregon, with a team that we both think is a legit, not a national title contender next year. They have, I think, they have as good a chance as anybody to come in in the Big Ten in their debut season and win it. Um, they've got. NIL figured out about as well as anybody does. They have great facilities. You know, and the other thing is, it's not like you're living in the life of a fishbowl, you know, as he would be 
in at a big SEC program, not just at a big SEC program. This is way different than if you're at like Tennessee or Georgia or Florida or LSU. Now you're talking about replacing the greatest coach in the history of the sport. That is a different deal altogether. And so now to jump back to Dabo for a second, I could see Dabo being one of the few guys that go, yeah, that doesn't bug me. I, you know, like I, if I, if I wanted the job, that wouldn't stop him. But I, you know, with Dan Lanning, I don't know. I don't know about that. The other names that I think will get consideration, Steve Sarkeesian. I know that they really think very highly of him in Tuscaloosa from his time there. But he, you know, and he beat Alabama this year in Alabama. But if you're Sark, do you look at it and go, you know what? I have a better situation in Austin right now. We're going into the same league. I, you know, I got a lot of guys back. And also, you know, I followed Tom Herman. If I go there, I'm following Nick Saban. You know, if I go to the playoff every year, but don't win the national title, they're not going to fire me. If I go to the 12 team playoff three times and don't win it, I mean, they may be looking, you know, looking over, I'm looking over my shoulder the whole time. So to me, Sark is like, again, I don't know how he feels about it, but I think you definitely, it's not a stretch. I think you have a better situation now in Austin than you would in Tuscaloosa. And then the other, uh, to me, a more of a wild card name in this is a guy who has no ties to Alabama, no ties to ever having coached in the SEC, but you and I both think is a top five or top six coach. And that's Kalen DeBoer, who, by the way, recently hired a new agent, and that's Jimmy Sexton, who's not only Nick Saban's... Ooh, key piece right there. Yeah, not only Nick Saban's agent, but he's the agent of almost everybody who coaches in the SEC. Yep. First of all, I'm not in that profession. I realize that everybody in that profession thinks... I'm the guy. I'll, I'll be able to get it done. I would absolutely not want to be the coach who follows Nick Saban in Alabama. I think the percent chance that you're that whoever that is 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 going to get run out within three to four years because they're not Nick Saban and they're not going to win twelve games a year because there is only one Nick Saban and it's impossible to do that. Um. I would, if I'm Dan, and I bring this up in in regards to Dan Lanning in particular, um, because I think you're right about Sark. I think Sark is that's a lateral move. You know, Texas can pay him whatever he wants. Um, He's gonna, he's an SEC coach now too. So, and I think he probably feels a lot of loyalty to Texas, who gave him a head coaching job, a major head coaching job, um, when others wouldn't. But in terms of Dan Lanning. If I were him, stay at Oregon, win, go to the playoff in the Big Ten. Like you said, they've got a about as an ideal setup as anyone right now with NIL and being able to go get a Dylan Gabriel in the portal and recruit a top five class. And three years from now, when the poor sap that follows Nick Saban gets fired, then you go take the Alabama job and be the guy who turned it back around. Um, I think you might. I I think that is very logical. I think the guy who you know, the guy who I could see taking the call and taking the job, who we both, or at least I think, is a really good coach, and I think he'd have to look around and go, "Oh yeah, I, this is a better situation." Is Mike Norvell? Mm-hmm. You know, like 
everybody at his school is talking about leaving their, you know, leaving their situation. You know, if you're him, now he has, he's never coached in the SEC, but he's at Florida State. He's recruited in that footprint. He's from Texas. You know, he's done a really, really good job. You know, gone from three wins to five wins to 10 wins to 13 and 0, and then they lose to Georgia with, a, you know, half a roster. You know, if you're Mike Norvell, I don't think, you know, and his buyout's not big from what I understand. It's less than 5 million. So if you're Mike Norvell, would you would you be like, eh, that's like, to me, Sark is a situation where, you know, I know he, he has a connection to Alabama too, but like just the fact of, like you said, it would feel like a lateral move. And then you put the Saban piece on top of it of replacing the guy. Whereas Florida State's a terrific job. I don't think Florida State is anywhere near as good a job as Alabama, though. No. I, well, case in point, that's who they picked over your undefeated team. Uh, and, you know, your school is filing lawsuits and raising um, all hell to get out of their conference. It's not a... I mean, it's just, it's rocky. It's a rocky situation there. And not that he's in any danger of, you know, losing his job or anything, but it's just, that's a tough, that's just a tough situation to be in versus Alabama in the toughest, you know, in in the strongest conference, great structure. Florida State, you know, this might not be the case going forward, but but in past years, like they don't fill their stadium every week. Um, They don't have quite the SEC intensity fan base which they'll tell you is in large part because of where it's located it's hard to get you know a lot of the graduates go and move far away um you know obviously not the case in tuscaloosa hundred thousand strong every week but again like it's easy for people on the outside to say well if they fire you, you just you take your money you get your 30 million dollars or whatever these guys want to coach they don't want to go sit around and count their money and you know once you once that happens to you like you have a um, you know, stigma, you got fired, right? You don't end up at a, you know, if you're Tom Herman and you wash out of Texas, you end up, um, at a much lower profile job the next time. So I do think it would scare some people off. And I think some people, and we'll throw out the wild card here, our guy, Lane Kiffin, who like Lane Kiffin is somebody who I think would be like, heck yeah, <laughs> bring it on. Uh, absolutely. I'm going to do it and, and do it my way. Would Alabama be comfortable with Nick uh, Lane Kiffin? Probably not. I mean, they know. I feel like they may know too much of Lane's history. To, to, and again, maybe you know, this is Greg Byrne. I mean, Sark had absolutely had a history too. Um, I don't. I don't know that that one. You know, I, from what I understood, Texas A and M didn't want to go there. I don't know if Alabama would want to go there. I mean, I just think he's going to – I think he could win. I do. I think he could win a national championship at a program like Alabama. But he could cause you a lot of headaches along the way. So – and ADs tend to – Also, ADs by the way, and- Stu, Stu, let me – one other thing. I heard Nick Saban will have some role, some say-so, in, in a voice in maybe who replaces him. Remember, Nick Saban basically shoved Lane Kiffin out the door and essentially fired him. Fired him right before the national championship game. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's a warm, cuddly relationship by any means. Uh, that, what you just Remember said. Lane was also tweaking him at the beginning of the season when oh, he yeah. was talking about, like, 
he's not the defensive coordinator and he was taking every jab he could. I don't what, No, he that's but what you're saying worries me a little bit. I don't think it's a great idea when the coach gets to help pick his successor. And as I would and I would bring up the example of Jimmy Lake, um, you know, I'm from what I understand of it. And, you know, Chris Peterson so well at this point, he didn't necessarily pick him, but he had a he was he and Jen Cohen worked very closely together and that did not go well. Um, I, I'm not as great as Nick Saban is. I'm not sure I want him telling me, yeah, I think this guy should be the guy you hire. I don't know if he's telling him, but I think he will have some voice in it. Yeah. Well, if he does, yeah. that rules out lane. Um, the one we didn't go back uh, into detail on is Kalen DeBoer. I think we, we've both talked on here about how much his profile uh, rose this year, taking Washington to the national title game having had a winning history as a head coach before that in terms of if they offered it to him or if they were interested in him and I'm sure Jimmy Sexton will make sure they know he's interested for, for whether he wants it or not. Um, that's one where that's different to me than Dan Lanning. I, I think Oregon is set up institutionally better to succeed in the big 10. I think Washington had a great year. this a great two years. Um, but they are not in a position to recruit at a higher level as Oregon. I don't think they have quite as robust NIL. And remember, Oregon and Washington agreed to go to the Big Ten at half the price, at half the payout. They're going to be like basically competing with one arm behind their back. The difference being Oregon has Phil Knight, who I'm sure will help cover the difference. So if you're Kalen DeBoer and you're looking at the future, you can stay at Washington and they'll do very well, I think. Uh, but I don't know, you know, am I able to win a national championship here? I don't know. Am I able to win one at Alabama? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that is a fair point. Um, I don't know. I, I do think he could win anywhere. This will be interesting to see how it how it plays out. It really will. Um, well, but it's really going to play out in 72 hours. And I think we might be back for a third podcast this week. Yeah, I mean, look, even Greg Burns said in his his uh, announcement, you know, this was going to, he thought it was going to be thorough, but it was going to be quick. Um, you know, we are in, we are in mid-January right now. So I don't. Yeah, think and there's an interesting wrinkle in that when there's a coaching change, players have a 30-day window to go back. In, so the transfer portal window closed on January 4th, I believe. Um, and, but if your, co if your school changes coaches, you can, you have 30 days where you're a free agent. Now, obviously, school is starting around the country at, at, you know, second semester. So it might not be, I mean, it might just not be realistic for a lot of guys. Maybe they wait till after the spring. Uh, but, you know, there's some, there's an element of uncertainty there. And you don't want your roster to fall apart because pretty much anybody that signs to go play at Alabama is doing so in large part to play for Nick Saban. So I could see, yes, absolutely. They feel like they need to get it done quickly. And like you said, I'm sure this is something Greg Byrne thinks about all the time. He didn't suddenly realize, wake up this morning and realize, oh, crap, I have to figure out who would be a good head coach here. What do you think Nick Saban does next? You know, we'd always heard that Nick Saban would go, go into TV and be on college game day. I don't know. That's already a crowded desk now with Pat McAfee. You still have Lee Corso, at least for some segments. Obviously, Kirk is there. I don't know if Kirk's dog is there now. It's like you have <laughs> Reese Desmond. Um, 
I don't know. He does Pat McAfee show regularly anyway. They seem to have a rapport. I just, you know, who knows if that is the next move? I would think it is. I would, I wouldn't think he would just be, you know, I'm going to replace Dan Mullen or something in the studio. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. And I also think, you know, as we talked about earlier about these like strange coincidences, you know, it's no secret that there's uh, a lot of controversy right now around the future of the Pat McAfee show and whether it's even viable that he can stay on ESPN after what all that's happened with, with Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Kimmel and all that. So I don't know if, if that were to happen, if ESPN and him were to divorce, they might actually need another person on that desk next year. So, um, but even if not, even if he's still there, like if Nick Saban wants to come, they're going to clear a spot for him. They already, uh, for years, like on, on those years when they don't make the playoff, you know, he's, he's there to be the, uh, He's he's been the analyst at many uh, national championship games, and he's good on TV. He is very he's good very on good on TV. There, there's uh, no question about that. I think what would be um, valuable, like if I were if 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 um, if this were possible, I would say say hey, college football playoff. I know you guys just hired a new executive director from the Air Force Academy, but now Nick Saban is available. He's kind of who you would, when we talk about there should be a commissioner of college football, there's absolutely nobody who would be more qualified for it than him. I think he cares about the college football, you know, the the state of college football very much. He has often used his pulpit to talk about that. Put him in some sort of leadership position. Now, the an actual commissioner of college football job does not exist. I think the closest thing would be to be running the playoff, which obviously is the biggest event in the sport. But Probably in the short term, game day analyst is much more uh, realistic than that. Yeah. One other th- one other note, by the way, Stu. Um, one thing we had heard uh, that this a- announcement was actually supposed to happen yesterday. So as we're taping this, it's Wednesday. It was actually supposed to happen Tuesday. But the weather around the country was really bad. And so it was hard to get the, a lot of players back. Flights were delayed. So the the mandatory team meeting that they had today was actually supposed to happen yesterday. The fact that they were able to keep it under wraps, if that's the case, is actually kind of amazing to me. That's my first thought. And my second thought is, poor Michigan. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, already you saw comments like, oh, they, they, they couldn't let Michigan have their 48 hours. Now you're telling me like the morning after the game or the afternoon after the game, they would have come out and and – that would Stolen have been an SEC away. move if they had actually done this Monday at this time. Monday at 7.25 p.m. Eastern. Oh. It would have been the most. Thank you. Thankfully, they uh, didn't do that for the just out of respect to the entire college football media establishment. That would have been a frantic, frantic uh, situation in the press box there. Anyway, I, I you know, we're kind of talking it out in real time and processing it. I'm not at the end of the day, I don't think I'm shocked. You knew the day would come at some point, but he kind of threw us off the trail is what I feel like. He just seemed so at ease this season that I wasn't seeing any sign whatsoever that like all of a sudden this year was the year where he'd thrown up his hands and had enough. But again, now that I'll I'll forever now remember that post-game Rose Bowl. I'm now realizing that I asked one of the last questions ever at a Nick Saban post-game press conference. I'll Maybe to drove him remember that. School. Ask yeah. All I did was ask him to elaborate 
about why it was he considered it one of the best seasons in Alabama history. It was not a um, it was not a Woodward and Bernstein type investigation. I'm sure he was fine. All right. Well, next time we come on, which might be in 72 hours, but might not be till next week. We will answer your emails. As always, send them to the audible pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.